0: I'm glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Would you stand then please? Genesis chapter 28, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read all the way down through verse 22. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, thy mother's father, and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. And God Almighty bless thee, and make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Padan Aram unto Laban, Son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Let me just put this in here. What Jacob said, or Isaac said to Jacob, verses 3 and 4, is the transference of the birthright. He is getting the promise to Abraham transferred to him. Verse 6 When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to Aram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran and he lighted upon a certain place And tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. And lay lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father. And the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it. And to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee, and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will bring thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely. The Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of this, that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Thank you. You may be seated. Unique passage of Scripture, no doubt. And as we look in the Old Testament, it is important to remember that these Passages of Scripture, of course, as we've been stating, are historical documents of what took place. God documenting accounts in the lives of people. And so we have the practical aspect of that. But in that, there's also prophecy because this event foreshadows God's dealings with man. And what takes place between God and Jacob in a personal way is a foreshadowing of how God would reconcile man to himself. I don't know about you, but if I were God looking for someone to shower my blessings on, Jacob's not the one I would pick. Would you? He's one of the most unlikable characters in our Bible, as far as likability. Um, he is he is cunning, he is clever, he is deceitful, um, he, is, he is he is he is so much so that his brother labels him such. He um, he seems to be um, a, a trickster. That's the idea of what his nickname was, a trickster, if you would. And so here's a man that's a supplanter, a trickster, if you would. And if it were me picking who I would bestow my grace on, I'll be honest with you, I like Esau the hunter a little better than I like Jacob the smooth man. The Bible called him a plain man. The idea is smooth. And as far as likability, you might like the other one better. There's a difference between the two men. One of them believed God and the other one didn't. One of them, now Jacob's faith, you'll see here, even in this context, is mixed with unbelief. He has faith, he's responding in faith. His obedience to his parents as a 40-year-old man, if I've got my math right. His obedience to them is a demonstration of faith. His desire for the birthright, even though he's gone about it the wrong way, he has respect for the things that God respects. He has a desire for the blessings of God. There is faith in that. We'll find that Hebrews 11 records Jacob as a man of faith. And, of course, Esau was a man who had only an appreciation for the temporal, only an appreciation for the tangible, only an appreciation for the earthly. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of soup, a momentary meal to satisfy his instantaneous hunger, and he sold out his entire future. Amazing. Now, may I say this today? Esau's family today is blessed through Jacob's. In Jacob shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I personally believe, if you're reading your Bible and studying, this is what is meant when the Bible says, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau when he died. Now, they didn't get the same blessing. How could you say that Esau is going to be blessed when he despised the birthright? Because through the blessing of Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed, including Gentiles those from Esau's race as well. But he forewent the blessing of the promised Messiah, and that's a picture for those who despise eternal life, those who have no desire for a Christianity that only focuses on the eternal. Uh, where they say, you know what, there's got to be more earthliness to our Christianity, and certainly our position in heaven should, uh, should end up in right practices on earth. We saw that in Sunday school. But my point is this, Jacob responded toward God in faith, and now God is responding toward him. And so what we're going to see is just three 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 sections to this chapter, verses 1 through 9, then verses 10 through 15, and then verses 16 through 22. In verses 1 through 9, we find Jacob on a, on a journey. He's taking a path away from his parents' place, and if you were to go back into Genesis 27, you would see why. Jacob did not simply leave mom and dad's house because he was just ready to get married that was one of the reasons but if you're a Bible student if you know your Bible you know what was the primary thing that facilitated Rebecca saying Jacob needs to leave and he needs to leave now you might know why (laughs) Esau was going to kill him Esau was boasting the fact when I get my once my dad is dead I'm going to kill my brother Esau figured if he couldn't get Isaac to repent the only way to still get the blessing is kill the guy who holds it the only way for Esau to get his birthright back is to use violence and sin to take it back. Esau had the same framework of thinking that Cain did. My brother respected what I did not. My brother got from God by faith. And again, we do not defend uh, Jacob's methodology or Rebecca's counsel to him. But the fact is, Jacob is using some fleshly mechanism to try to get something spiritual. God's got to cure him of that. But what happens here is Jacob takes a path of departure from his mom and dad's place, and there's a number of things in place fear for his life. If he stays there, Esau's going to get him. But there's another aspect Esau had taken idolatrous women to be his wives, not one wife, but multiple wives. And his parents said, his mother said, I can't bear it. I can't bear to see Jacob do the same thing send him off to get get a wife back from our kindred who will worship the one true God. And so that's what Isaac says and sends him on his way. All I would say is this, is Jacob's faith is minute, it's tiny. You see a little bit of faith in his desire for the birthright. You see just a little bit of faith exercised when his father says, I'm sending you away, go back to Pathan Aram, to the family, find you a wife from thence. And the Bible says that he obeyed. Esau saw Jacob's obedience, meaning he respected the direction of God in his life enough to act on it. Very little. You can just see just a faith, maybe the size of a grain of mustard seed in Jacob's life. We've stated before it's not the size of faith. That's what Jesus was teaching us when he said faith is the grain of a mustard seed can move a mountain. It is not the size of faith. It is who that faith is placed in. When you and I place a little bit of faith in the word of God, it'll have a, an enormous effect because God's word is always reliable. It's always trustworthy. What we find is Jacob's path, it is directed by fear, but it's also directed by faith. Is that possible? Uh, and before we answer too quickly, I ask you, is it possible to have fear of men and faith of God operating in the same heart at the same time? According to Bible, it is possible. In Matthew chapter 17, the Lord Jesus had gone up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. While he is there, the other nine disciples are left at the base of the mountain, and a man with a demon-possessed boy comes to the disciples, asks them to please cast the devil out, help us, and the disciples are incapable of helping the man. And when Jesus comes on the scene, there's a ruckus, if you would. I'm paraphrasing. Take time to read on your own. It's found in Matthew 17. You look in Mark chapter 8. There's a ruckus on the scene, and the Lord Jesus inquires what's taking place here. And the man says, if thou canst do anything, help us. Did I came unto your disciples... and? They weren't able, they were not able to help. My son has been possessed of a devil. Sometimes it throws him into the fire, sometimes into the water, constantly trying to kill my boy, and I'm asking for help, and your disciples couldn't help. Many people leave church feeling that way. God, I want help. They come to church, try to get help from us, and we don't help them. And they leave feeling helpless. (laughs) I'm thankful that God's ability is not entirely contingent on us, aren't you? Now, may we always be in touch with the Lord enough that He can use us, but sometimes folks leave the servants of God thinking, I didn't get any help, and it causes confusion and often stirs a ruckus. But the Lord says, what, what, what is it you need? And He explains the condition of the boy. And He said, if thou canst do anything, help us. Do you hear that word? The first word of His request to the Lord Jesus was, if. If thou, and Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believeth. Jesus is basically telling the man, I can do it, but you've got to trust me. If you believe me and trust me, and the man says this, I believe, Lord, help thou mine unbelief. Here's a man obviously fearful for the life of his son, fearful for what Satan is doing in his home, fearful about all that's going on, and when challenged to believe, he said, I do, but I don't. I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And I believe that's the same picture we have of Jacob Jacob believed God concerning eternal promises enough to want them. He believed about the birthright, an invisible, intangible, eternal asset enough to desire it when Esau didn't want it, but he didn't believe God enough to get it God's way. Do you know what, do you know that God had promised when Jacob was still in the womb that Jacob would rule over his brother? It was part of God's divine plan and shadowing and showing us. There's such a, I love the Bible, so many glorious principles. It's the principle of the second born over the first born. Adam being the first born. Jesus Christ, the last Adam. The last Adam will rule over the flesh. The first Adam. And we see that in Cain and Abel. And you see that in Jacob and Esau. And you see that in Ishmael and Isaac and David and and his brother Eliab. It's over and over, this picture shown that the first man or our natural man is corrupt and it's the born-again man that has, that has the power to rule and reign by the power of God. And we have that picture portrayed here again. God foreseeing that and foreknowing that promised in the womb that Jacob would rule over his brother Esau. All Jacob had to do is wait on God. So he's got faith enough to believe God for the eternal promises but not faith enough to wait on Him. Rebecca had the same problem. Faith and lack of faith, all in the same person. Yet, we find his path motivated by fear, the fear of the death of his brother, but at the same time motivated by faith, willing to obey his parents and get a wife that's not an idolatrous. I believe in the context of Scripture, you have to say Jacob is operating in faith and fear at the same time. Both. But ultimately, one day, one's going to have to prevail. By the time Joseph would bury Jacob, Jacob had learned to simply live by faith and not by fear. In fact, if you follow Jacob's life, he dealt with fear all of his life. Uh, All of his life, he dealt with fear, fear. Uh, when, When the brothers came home and told about Joseph, his worst fears were realized. My son has been, my favorite son has been destroyed. And the Bible says for years he grieved and would not be comforted because his fears had been realized. And yet he was still a man of faith. Now, I think by this point, as we look at Jacob's path... I would imagine most of us are saying, yeah, I maybe relate to Jacob more than I thought. Huh? Would you agree? <laughs> and so here's Jacob. His path is motivated by fear, but it's also directed by faith. As he leaves, we just want to make, make a note of this, as he goes on his journey, Isaac blesses him. Esau notices that. We just want to make another note before of, of Esau before we leave him from last week's message. The Bible says Esau notes Jacob's obedience. Let's read it in verse 6. When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to pay the to take him a wife from thence, and that he blessed him in giving him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan, and that Jacob obeyed his father and his mother and was gone to pay the and Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau and Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, uh, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife." What we notice here is Jacob's obedience by faith was a reproof to Esau and it reveals that Esau's heart had not changed. You know what Esau's still trying to do? He's still trying to get Isaac to repent. He sees that Jacob is blessed in his obedience and in the obedience blessed. And Esau says, I wonder if I try to do that, if I can go over here and get me a different wife. They're obviously displeased with the wives I've taken. I'll go get me a different wife and maybe dad will like me finally. And I say the person that rejects the promises of God by faith... Well, you know what false religion is? It's man's endeavor to get God to repent and be pleased with him while still refusing to come to God God's way. And I just want to note that, that the path of the believer, though it may be mingled with fear, is still a reproof to the unbeliever who is living simply by fleshly impulses. And so Jacob's path is seen, and we won't take a lot of time to note that, in verses 1 through 9, it's a path of faith... It's a path mingled with fear. And it's a path of reproof to his brother as he goes on his way. But Jacob's path leads him to a place where we find him in verse 10. And I want to see this. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So the direction of his life has changed. Because he now has the birthright and the blessing, Esau is angry at him. By the way, can I just get spiritual here for just a minute, the spiritual application? Once you've received the new nature by faith, your flesh is not happy. How many of you know you have a, if you've been born again, you have a Jacob living in you and you have an Esau to deal with? There's a spiritual analogy here, and don't miss it. When you get saved, it's like Jacob getting the birthright. You must be what? Born again. When you're saved, you get a birthright. You got it by faith, not by conniving, not by being deceitful. You get it by faith, the same way he got it. And when you get that birthright and you have the blessing, your natural man does not like that. You and I all, please hear me this morning, every person here would like for God to accept you as you are. You go, He does. No, He doesn't. God accepts no one as they are. If we'll follow what I'm saying. You can come to God as you are, but He'll wash you in the blood of His Son before He'll accept you. You are not acceptable to God. I am not acceptable to God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of our righteousnesses are as filthy Rags, and we must have an exchange made. He takes our rags and we take his robe. He takes our unrighteousness, and he already did when he died on the cross. We accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ by faith. There is no way to be acceptable to God. And what false religion is what we see described here by Esau. When he sees that there's a new man accepted, that Jacob, the second born, is acceptable to God and acceptable to his parents, and he is not, that he goes into, what can I do to make myself acceptable? I'll marry a different wife. I'll do this. I'll do this. No, we're made acceptable by faith, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then we see uh, in this first few verses, Jacob's path, his direction has changed, and it has stirred Esau's anger. And again, what I'll say is once you're born again, your new man will take a completely different direction than your old man. And if you're going to live by faith, you'll have to live by obedience. And that's what Jacob did, at least at some level. He's got a lot of learning to do, as do we. But the fact of the matter is, is the path of his life has now changed after receiving the birthright. Now we come into his perception. Verse 10, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he alighted upon a certain place. Do you notice how haphazard that is? He's not looking for this place. He's not searching for this place. It's not like, oh, hey, this is Luz. This is right on my GPS. I'm going to stay right here tonight. No. He, he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down that place to sleep. What a picture of someone who is just beginning a new life of faith Sometimes it's a very uncomfortable time. You're leaving an old life behind. Is that not what Jacob's doing? He's going to, God's going to take him into a place that will transform his character. Jacob goes into Laban's world as a supplanter and he comes out an honest man. God changed him. When God gives you new, new nature, he begins a process of changing you. Can I say this? If you are a professor of faith in Jesus Christ, and you feel and have no different feelings about your past life of sin, something's wrong. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. I've met people, and they have been living the life of a drunkard, an adulterer, a fornicator for 35 years, and claiming to be a Christian all the same time. Friends, something's broken there. And nine times out of ten, whoever that is was never born again in the first place. Just somebody pretending. I'm not here trying to cause anybody who's truly saved to doubt their salvation. God forbid I would do that. But we have folks today that have some idea that you can just repeat all the right verbiage out of your mouth and not believe the truth in your heart. Salvation is by faith. When I actually believe what God says, not repeat a set of magic words or use religious jargon or get dunked underwater that has its place, but as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember when the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And what was Philip's Philip's condition? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Meaning, we're not going to help you play pretentious things here. So, back to Jacob. Here's Jacob, who is fear mingled with faith, and he comes into this place, and I don't know about you, I would love to camp with Jacob. It's nighttime, and he uses for a pillow rocks. He's using the natural resources. And we don't want to make the Bible say anything it doesn't, but I believe it's right here. How does Jacob see his resources? What is the purpose of the resources around him? To help him be comfortable. Don't lose this. Here's some stones. And the best thing Jacob can do is say, I need to prop my head up tonight. I guess I'll lay my head on that. You know what? When we, before we get saved, that's how we look at all our surroundings. It's about me. It's about my comfort. It's about my promotion. It's about, Isn't that how Esau looked at everything? But now Jacob has received the birthright. He's received the blessing and the promises of God. Things are different. And he sees these stones. Can't think of anything better to do with them, but prop his own head up and try to get some sleep. He is in a dark place, and there is discomfort in his life. May I say this? Spiritual growth for the saved person comes through discomfort. We don't like that. But you know what? God is 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 stirring a new nature in us, and I see that in the life of Jacob as a picture of someone who's received the birthright, received the blessing, and now the direction of his life has changed, and he's trying to get comfortable. It's a dark season in his life. You know what? When it gets dark, I want comfort. I don't want discomfort. We'll find a place, crawl in bed, and go to sleep. That's what he's trying to do. So he's using these stones for a pillow, it's no wonder he had a dream that night. <laughs> he makes those stones a pillow, and so we'll come back to those stones before the message is done. The Bible says he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set, and he took the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. I'll just say this. There's plenty of scripture to remind us of this. I believe we wouldn't write these down. But you find it in Romans chapter 13, thirteen, first Corinthians chapter fifteen. I know verse thirty four, the Bible says, Awake to righteousness and sin not. You know what Jacob wants? He just wants to go on his journey and be comfortable. He just wants to find a place to pillow his head, go to sleep at night, and continue on his way. May I say this when you belong to God and He's given you a new nature, He's not going to let you sleep when He wants you awake. He's not going to let you build comfort. If you're a Christian here this morning who has received eternal life as a gift, and you say, why is my life in such turmoil? Maybe, just maybe, God's trying to change our perspective. We're dealing with Jacob's perception. His eyes are going to be open to some things. He has no idea God is moving in his circumstances. He lighted upon a place, looks like a likely camping spot. I didn't bring a pillow, but those rocks will do. And he just wants to be comfortable and sleep. He want, you know what sleep does? Sleep disconnects you from reality. Some this morning, you've, you've believed God concerning the birthright of salvation. You've believed God concerning eternal things. And you say, you know what? I want the birthright. That's future. I want to think about that in eternity. But I just want to find a place to be comfortable and sleep here. We're living in a dark world and a dark time. And many Christians just want to go to sleep. And so we use all the earthly resources we can get. And we are like Jacob pillowing our head on rocks and wonder why we can't sleep well. Because God does not intend Christians to sleep. He says, Awake to righteousness and sin not, and Christ shall give thee light. We are not sleeping as others. We are not in the dark as others. The Bible has so much to say about this. We are to walk as children of light, meaning our eyes are open. We are aware of what God is doing in the world and what part we have in it. So many are just trying to heap earthly resources, lay their head on them and go to sleep. What I find is God says, I'm not going to let you do that, Jacob. Jacob, not even aware that God is present, God is moving in his life. And so he pillows his head, seeking comfort. And then the Bible says in verse 12, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. This is a, a, almost a verbatim, if not verbatim, repetition of the promise that had already been made to Abraham, and made to Isaac, why is Jacob getting this promise? Remember what he got when, he, when Esau despised the birthright? This is what he got. The promise of God to use you to perpetuate eternal blessings to others. And so here God's waking him up. You know I believe? Jacob, Jacob said, here's a place that it, it's only good for a little nap. And didn't even realize the significance of the place he was, that God was working in his life to do something eternal with him. If you and I could live our lives raise a family, die happy. Many think that's it. That's life. And I believe if we hold the birthright, God's going to say, no, I've got to wake you up. Now, he's asleep, but in his sleep, God's going to communicate to him and show him there is far more significance to the place you're lying, to the direction you're headed. I am doing something. Jacob, I have an eternal divine purpose that I'm working in your life. And God has to communicate with him while he's just seeking to have a nap. God says, no, I want you to have your eyes open. I want you to see things correctly. One of my burdens for Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church this year is that God would help us to get an eternal perception and perspective. To see the eternal. We cannot see the temporal if we're not focused on the eternal. You know what Jacob's focused on? The temporal. But who is that more like, Jacob or Esau? He's behaving more like Esau, and God's saying, I'm not going to let you be an Esau. You've got the birthright. You've got the blessing. You've got to have a different perspective. Here he is seeking comfort, and God appears. Let me ask you something. If we were all sitting here this morning, and all of a sudden you see a ladder start appearing and attached to the ground, where would you look? At the base of the ladder or at where it's coming from? This This is why this text gets misinterpreted. It's a ladder, and you know what a ladder does. It connects things that are too high to reach with things that are too low to get there. Right. If I want to get on this roof, I've got to get a ladder. I can't get up there on my own. So, But if we just saw it appear, you wouldn't sit there and say, well, who put the ladder up? Obviously, nobody did. But when when we look at this and we say, oh, there's a ladder showing the way to climb your way to God. No, it just appeared, meaning it came from above and came down and was rooted on the earth, and it's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God makes the promise, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed... He is insinuating through you the Savior of all mankind is going to come. There is a gap between God and man that man cannot span. You can't span it by good works. You cannot span it by good behavior. You can't span it by reformation. You can't span it by trying to be a better person. Isn't that what Esau had done? Wasn't he trying to be a better person by taking a different wife? And all he did was compound his sin. When we try to be, make ourselves better people because in our conscience we know we're not acceptable to God. All we do is compound our sin because what we do is we add deceit and hypocrisy on top of disobedience and rebellion. False religion does nothing but compound man's sin. Esau in an effort to make his mom and daddy happy just did more sin. That's all he did. But here's Jacob and God says, that's not my way. My way is I will come to you and make a way for God to be reconciled to man. This is the eternal aspect of what God was doing in the life of Jacob. It was not about Jacob finding a better place to live. It wasn't about him being able to raise a family and have a bunch of kids. By getting the birthright and the blessing, he had gotten in on God's eternal plan of salvation. Turn with me if you would to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. For those who look at Christianity as the best way to live on a rotten world, (laughs) just the best life you can have is, you know, cling to the facts of the Bible and hope that they're facts. Just hope they are, and it'll help you live a better life than the average Joe. You know what that is? Let me gather a few rocks, pillow my head, and sleep. You know what God says? No, no, no. This is about an eternal purpose. God making a way for heaven and earth to be reconnected when they've been separated by sin. Isn't that what that ladder did? It connected earth to heaven. That's what Jesus Christ does. Adam created a gap between heaven and earth. There was perfect harmony and fellowship. The Bible speaks of God coming down in the cool of the day and speaking with Adam and Eve so that the evening was not a time of dread. It wasn't a time where you feared murderers. It was a time that you anticipated to fellowship and walk with God. Until Adam and Eve sinned. And then when God came walking in the cool of the garden, they hid from God. Now there's animosity. Now there's angst at God's presence. And so then there is a gap made by man's sin. And what God is revealing to Jacob is, I'm going to, I'm going to reattach heaven and earth. There's going to be a mediator between God and men. God willing, we'll get in the book of Job and we'll preach and consider the daysman betwixt us and God. The one who has the ability to keep a hand on heaven and keep a hand on earth and bring the two together. So the ladder in Jacob's ladder was not about God providing a means for man to elevate or exalt himself. It was God through coming down, making a way to reconcile. You see, eternal life is not man making himself good enough for God through exaltation. It's God making man good enough for himself through humiliation. We'll see it in just a moment. John chapter 1. I love the gospel. (laughs) Religion just takes it and perverts it and said God put that ladder so Jacob could see the 29 and a half steps to salvation. No, that ladder is a picture of God coming down to man. John chapter 1 in verse 44. Verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathaniel. And saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Quick question. Is Philip thinking spiritually or naturally here? All he knew of Nazareth was it's a crummy little town and nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I mean, it would be kind of like saying, Can any good thing come out of Sandpoint? You know, uh, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm trying to be funny. California, wherever you want to say. Uh, not Bonner's Ferry, of course. Right, we read on. He says, And um, Nathaniel said unto him, Verse 46, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him, And saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and saith unto him, Before that Philip called thee, When thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathaniel answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's read Genesis 28:12 again. And he dreamed a dream, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. You know there's a parallel between Jacob's dream and Nathanael's call to discipleship. Nathanael thinks he's just going to meet some other neat guy from Nazareth. And immediately Jesus demonstrates supernatural knowledge telling him where he was sitting and what he was doing when Jesus could not have seen him. And Philip says, You're the Son of God. He said, You believe because I said you were under the fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. I've come not only to do what you've seen here, but I have come to make a way to heaven. You'll see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, a prophetic reference to His ascension back to heaven. And we know upon that, angels ascended back to heaven and came and told the men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? And so this ladder in Genesis 28 is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ that God would provide through the seed of Abraham, through the seed of Isaac, through the seed of of Jacob and God telling Jacob what he's communicating to him. He's opening his eyes. Jacob, you are not just on a journey to get a wife because your mama was worried about your death. I am doing something in your life that's eternal. You trusted me for the birthright. It's yours. You know, I believe this. Every Christian needs to be awakened to what is ours in Christ Jesus. I've been trying with God's help to emphasize this. I keep saying I believe most Christians are living under their privileges. We have been given all things that pertain unto life and godliness in Jesus Christ. All things. You realize what is ours since we've been born again? You've been given the Holy Spirit of God to keep you saved. You've been given the Holy Spirit of God to remind you of the right way. You've given the Holy Spirit of God which gave you a Bible. You've been given eternal life. You've been given a promised inheritance that's not fable or fairy tale, it's real a place reserved in the heavens for you, friend. When we leave this life, we are stepping into the presence of Jesus Christ. And what God would awaken us to in our search for personal comfort by piling our head on rocks is, I am doing something eternal in your life, not just temporal. Go if you would now again where we were last week, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. God didn't just save me so I can have a nice marriage and a nice home. I'm grateful for that. There's a lot of saved people, God using in a mighty way, who don't even have a wife or children. Apostle Paul didn't. God didn't save me to give me a comfy life here. He saved me that the Lord Jesus Christ might be magnified in my body. You realize all the blessings and the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you and I are grafted into those through faith in Jesus Christ. Meaning through us, all families of the earth are blessed. Is that so? Through the child of God. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, when we believed God and were given a birthright and given a blessing in Jesus Christ, I believe Jacob thought, well, you know, I'm glad for that. But God had to wake him up and show him, this is what I'm doing. Open his eyes to the work of God in his life. There was more going on than just fleeing from his brother and trying to find a wife. God had transferred some eternal blessings to his account. And he needed to reckon with those. Second Corinthians chapter 4, uh, the Bible says, in verse 13, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up, also, raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. You know what I like to do on verses like this? Stop and meditate on it. Is that absolute truth? Am I literally going to be raised from the dead someday with a glorified body? Yes, that's, that's as much fact as that I'm putting oxygen in and carbon dioxide out this morning. Move on, verse 15. For all things are your, for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When Jacob laid down that night for his little dream, he sleep, what did he see? Maybe some stars? Some some darkness? um, A bush? A tree? Closed his eyes, and then you know what he saw? Nothing. (laughs) But after God wakes him up, he's looking at things you can't see. Does that sound backwards? Because the eye to God is opened by faith. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many of you can see heaven right now? Not with a natural eye, but you can sure see it by faith. I can't see heaven with my natural eye, but by faith my perception is opened and I get a glimpse of God. You know what opens the, the mind to the truth of God? The latter. The latter. There's got to be a ladder that opens the heavens to us, and that ladder is Jesus Christ. Natural men don't perceive the things of God. That's so what 2 Corinthians 1-2 uh, chapter chapter tells us. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they're spiritually discerned. First Corinthians 2, I think it is, talks about that. But we who have the Spirit of God can see those. And here's Jacob, and the picture is, he had received a birthright, and he had received a blessing, and as a consequence, God awakens him out of his drowsy sleep to open his eyes and help him see the eternal, to quit looking at the temporal and see the eternal, to see that God was in transferring to him great and precious and exceeding precious promises whereby he could be a partaker of God. That's what we are reading in 2 Peter chapter 1. When we received the new life in Jesus Christ, we were made heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. But you know what God has to do? God has to allow us to get in a place in our lives where we're discomfortable enough that he can awaken us out of our sleep. Would we all agree Jacob is not in the most comfortable position in his life? He's got his angry brother behind him. He's got an uncertain future in front of him. And he's got stones for a pillow. Some say, man, you just described my life. Then just be paying attention to the word of God. Because I believe it is in these moments that God has the ability to, to take our comfort and awake us out of sleep. And this ladder, this dream that God gave him, was a picture of what God has done in saving. Here's the here's the thing. we go back to Genesis 28. The Bible says, And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. So that verse 12, that's Jesus Christ. Verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it. So now there's a direct line of communication between Jacob and God. What facilitated that? A ladder. Jesus Christ. First Timothy 2, 5. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, Now Jacob is not hearing Isaac talk. He is directly hearing from God himself. I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father and the God of Isaac. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in thee. And in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I've done that which I've spoken to thee of. Does that sound familiar? Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now let's just focus on this for a moment. This dream that Jacob gives, it it takes his sleep, awakens him out of sleep, Opens his eyes to the truth of God, opens his ears to the voice of God. All of this made possible by this ladder that is making it possible for God and man to commune. Why is Jacob getting this personal relationship and communion with the God of heaven? And God is saying, Here's all that I have for you, Jacob. The land that you're on, my personal presence to protect you, to guard you, to guide you, to bring you back and give you and make my promises. Do you realize God's saying, here are the resources that are yours, Jacob. They're yours. Why does Jacob get these? Because he is such a wonderful guy. He wouldn't lie to a soul. He wouldn't sneak and connive on anybody. You know what this is? It's a picture of the grace of God. Jacob is not getting the promises of God because Jacob is good. Jacob's getting the promises of God because God is good. And God said, you trusted me. Now I'm going to be faithful to my word. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Why should I get a home in heaven? Because God in His grace promised it, and I'm willing to trust Him. It's not because God says, boy, you're such a good preacher, you're such a good Christian. No, ask something, did Jacob deserve God to even talk to him? But he had responded to God by faith. May I ask this, was his faith even perfect? Or was it all sullied with fear and unbelief? But he had looked to God in faith. The medium of exchange in eternal things is faith. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How did Jacob even have a concept of what the birthright was? The word of God. When Isaac repeated the blessings of God, he is repeating what God told Abraham. Jacob had heard about these eternal blessings and he believed God for it. And My point to you today is you do not get the riches and I do not get the riches of heaven because of our goodness. We get them because of God's grace. Grace is accessed by faith. And I'm going to tell you what that offends in us today. If it is by grace and not by works, that's what Romans 4 says, by the way. That's what Romans 3 says. That's what Romans 5 says. That's what Romans 6 says. That's what Romans 1 says. Romans 2 says. And the rest of the Bible. It's not an earned merit or reward. It is a gift. But you tell me what that offends in us today. If, if you're Jacob, would you sit there and think, why would God be promising me all of this? His protection, his preservation, untold resources. I mean, if you're Jacob and you're honest, you should say, why? I've been an absolute rotten stinker. I lied to my brother. I tricked him. I took advantage of him. But in the midst of that was a seed of faith that said, I believe God concerning his promises and eternal things. And God says, here's my promise to you. And I'm not saying God's rewarding him for his faith. I'm saying God always rewards faith because it's in him. God will never disappoint faith in him. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And so what we have in this latter vision is an awakening of a a believer to the riches of eternal things that are His because of of the faith exercised. Time does not permit us this morning to look at all the texts of Scripture that deal with the eternal riches that are yours if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal riches. Wisdom. Let's take one text. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Would you turn there please? 1 Corinthians 1. Then we'll come to our final point in our message. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians explains that the Wisdom of this world rejects the foolishness of preaching. But those who, by faith, believe the gospel, we are are recipients of of an eternal inheritance. I actually want to look at two texts. One we're very familiar with because we've been looking at them in Sunday school. And this one here in 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1 says, verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So not many people that are rich in the things of this world, with rich in honor or rich in physical wealth, very rarely we see people like that get saved. They don't see their need for God. Verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him. Here's our verses, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Here's the latter. God in Christ is made unto us. Christ through God. Of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Got a question. Did Jacob build a ladder that opened the heavens to him or did God build Bring one down. Jacob didn't build a ladder and climb to God. God lowered a ladder and came to Jacob. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in likeness of men. And being found as a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess things in heaven and earth and under the earth and so on and so forth one of the texts we'll read second peter chapter 1 before we go to our final point. point second peter chapter 1 we've been here in sunday school but i want us to see this again of the riches that we're given through the righteousness and the faith of the lord jesus christ second peter 1 verse 1 simon peter a servant and apostle of jesus christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of god and our savior jesus christ grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of god and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Get the picture? Jacob has escaped Esau, the corruption that is in the world through lust, and God is opening Jacob's eyes to say, now look what is available to you through my grace and my promises. The ladder to heaven is Jesus Christ, and it's opened the riches of heaven to the believer in Jesus Christ, and God has to awaken us out of our discomfort, again, because we're living below, below our privileges, sleeping on rocks, seeking our own comfort, and God would have him know, No, Jacob, I've got so much more for you than a life of empty, vain pursuit. I'm involving you in eternal purposes And your involvement is by faith. So we've seen Jacob's path, verses 1 through 9. Jacob's perception open, verses 10 through 15. God promises him. His perception is open to the presence of God. His perception is open to the promises of God. His perception is open to the provision of God. All those things, the protection of God. God promises him all of those things. Verse 16, now we find Jacob's perspective. Verse 16, and Jacob awaked out of his sleep. And he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. That's a good statement. (laughs) God was right here working in my life. How many times is the Lord present and we know it not? Now, why would you think, why didn't Jacob know it? Because all he can see is a clump of rocks and a dark night. And God had to awaken him to show the eyes of the Lord are in every place. God knew exactly where he was and so he said, the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. Verse 17, he was afraid. And this is a good fear, by the way, and said, how dreadful is this place? There's none other, this is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I say it's a good fear, probably still mingled with some bad fear. But the fear of the Lord is a good thing. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at the first. And don't miss this. He's going to say something else. going to indicate he's still got some unbelief. But what had been used for his personal comfort is now used as a monument to the presence and promises of God. It's amazing how getting an eternal perspective will make us use earthly resources differently. What I use, let me put it to you this way. When I am either lost or I'm carnal, meaning... I've received the birthright, but I've not learned how to think eternally yet. I'll see money. I'll see houses and cars as nothing more than just for my own personal comfort. And it doesn't give it, by the way, just like a stone won't help you sleep at night. But once your eyes are opened to the eternal God through Jesus Christ, all of a sudden what you are using to pillow your head on is used as a pillar, a, a symbol of consecration, something to honor God rather than serve self. Now, it's just a stone, but he takes that stone and he says, no, you know what, I slept on this, but God worked in my heart here. God revealed himself here. God gave me some promises that are amazing, hard to believe, and I'm going to take this rock and anoint it with oil, meaning that oil was to, to set apart. This is something significant, a significant milestone in Jacob's life. We've preached a series of messages in time past on pillars that Jacob built. It's interesting. I think he built five of them, and each one was a milestone in his life. This one was a milestone to recognize the working and the dealing of God in his life and the plan of God. And he is able to take something as simple as a stone that before was used for a temporal purpose of his own comfort and didn't succeed and set apart as a monument to the presence and the provision and the power of God. And he anoints that stone so that he'll remember, this is where God spoke to me. Over 20 years later, Jacob would revisit this pillar with a wife, wives, children, health, and no fear of the dread of his brother because God had protected him. He would come back and God will have proven himself, I keep my promises. And the pillar would be there and Jacob would remember it. I'm trying to say this this morning. When our eyes can be opened to what God has done through Christ Jesus in our life and opening to us the riches of heaven, then it changes us from living a life for comfort to living a life of consecration. I see then everything as an opportunity and a way to honor God. I should anyway. And Jacob's entire perspective has changed. And we see that indicated by him taking what was used to pillow his head and now used to say, I honor and recognize that God is alive. God is, God is working. God has spoken. Now let's see Jacob's conclusion here in his His Perception is God surely is in this place. We see that indicated by the pillar. But then verse 20, and Jacob vowed a vow. So he says, you've spoken to me. Now, you made some promises to me, God. Now, I'm going to make a promise to you. i got a question. What were all of God's conditions to Jacob? Did he say, Jacob, if you will promise me that you'll never deceive anybody again, I'll give you all this land. No. He said, I'm going to do this. You've trusted me, and I'm going to do this. Now, Jacob out a vow saying, if, there he is again, that word, if, the same word that we found in the man in Matthew 17, if thou canst do anything, help us. If God will be with me... no, wait a minute. Didn't God say He would be with him? So what's still present in Jacob's life? His perspective's changed, but his persuasion's still awful weak. If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, if God will protect me and provide for me as He's promised, be with me, just like He said, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. You know what Jacob's saying? He's saying, Lord, if you'll do what you said, then you can count on me being 100% submitted to you. You'll be my God. I can't say that I find here this is a good statement. And you'll find that the next 20 plus years of Jacob's life were filled with misery as he learned that when God keeps his word, we don't need to say if. Jacob would have to learn to have his faith increased and his faith perfected. He is still wondering, is God going to do what he said? But he said, but I do vow this vow. Lord, if you do what you say, I will be yours. That's the idea. Then God will be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. All I want to say this morning is, God having given Jacob the birthright, God having given him these precious promises, Jacob still has his problems But it doesn't change the fact that the promises were his, now does it? Now, what's the admonition for us? How would you counsel Jacob to respond? If God opened his eyes and helped him see, I am am going to protect you, provide for you, give you all this land, how should Jacob have responded? With an if or because you've said, then I will. And it's it's an admonition to us, but it's also an illustration to us how many times are we more like Jacob in verses 20 through 22 than we want to admit? We've read in our Bible, and God has opened our eyes, that Jesus Christ has made things right between us and God, that he has, he has reconciled us, that's 2 Corinthians 5, to God. We're reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen, 2 Corinthians 1 20 says. And we know that, we know that, but we still say with Jacob, if God keeps his word, then I'll serve him. Jacob still has faith mingled with unbelief, and hence there'll be days ahead of Jacob trying to bring about God's blessings Jacob's way. Now I believe every one of us somewhere in this story. We're either Esau who don't have any, we have no respect for eternal things, or lost. And the only way for Esau to have the blessing is for Esau to repent, not God. Amen. This is a message much for Christians though who you've believed God concerning the birthright, the eternal things of God. And God wants you to see that through Jesus Christ you've been reconciled to heaven and as such you are one of His and He'll never leave you nor forsake you. How many of you would agree that Jacob lived below his privileges for the next 20 plus years? He did. He continued to connive and sneak and be connived against. In fact, the next 20 plus years were Jacob reaping what he had sowed much of the rest of Jacob's life. But he would learn eventually What God promises, God performs. I believe the sooner you and I can get a hold of that truth, the better. The sooner we can realize that all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. When he promises heaven is a home, it's true. When he promises the strength to overcome temptation, it's true. But how many times are we like Jacob? And maybe this text of scripture reveals it this morning. My direction's changed. I'm on a different path. I've left Esau behind. I've escaped the corruptions of the world through lust. But I've just been in a dark uncomfortable, terrible, damp place where all I can see is nothing good behind me and uncertainty in front of me. Maybe God is moving our lives to say, well, get your focus on me. Isn't that what God did in Jacob's life? Get your focus off of you and get your focus on me. And Jacob left here focused on God but still lacking faith in God. I believe we don't have to do that this morning. We can leave and say, you know what? The God who would (laughs) reveal himself to me in such a way in the middle of the night and remind me of who he is and make those promises to me can be fully trusted. And so this morning, I know God's speaking to you. You may be on down the line and say, I remember seasons in my life like that. I'm grateful that God's grown my faith. But I find Jacob a man, a possessor of the promises of God, but living as though they may not be true. And it left him in a place of uncertainty and unsettledness and we don't have to be there. May we take God at his word. God cannot lie. And this morning, there's a great ladder been it's descended from heaven whose name is Jesus Christ in order to reconcile God with man and give us access to the eternal promises of God. Let's not live below the privilege of our salvation. Mm-hmm.